Lays it into Trey. Two seconds wide. Trey Slaughter. the Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks Team Covers Podcast, formerly known as Hoopball Hawks. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm recording this on Sunday, March 6th, ahead of tomorrow night's matchup versus the Detroit Pistons. I apologize for the delay in recording. Had a crazy busy week with work, school, finishing up final projects uh, for this eight weeks that I'm in towards my degree. So I do apologize, but my eyes and ears have been on the Atlanta Hawks and we got a lot to talk about today. And after a sweep of a back-to-back of the Chicago Bulls at home and then the next night versus the Washington Wizards on the road, the Hawks are now 3-2 and two coming out of the All-Star break and 6-4 and four in the last 10 games as they currently sit in the final playing spot in the Eastern Conference at 10th, but that is only because of tiebreakers because right now that we are tied with the Charlotte Hornets and the Brooklyn Nets right now, record-wise. So virtually a three-way tie for the 8th spot in the East. Hawks are three games back of the seven seed Toronto Raptors. And as I am recording this episode, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Toronto Raptors are on ESPN right now. And it looks like the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to pull this one out. So that three game lead that the Raptors currently have is probably going to drop to two games after an L tonight, which moves the Cleveland Cavaliers right now to having a six-game advantage on the Atlanta Hawks right now, which will end a three-game losing streak for the Cavs. And, but still, it's very possible for the Hawks to climb to the seven, eight seed right now. The six seed is possible if Cleveland stumbles down the stretch. And if we just play out of our minds here in Atlanta, which, I mean, both are certainly possible. Both are certainly possible. Cleveland is a very young team. They do have some vets to kind of guide that locker room in Cleveland. And that they've they've done an impressive job this year. I have to give them credit. J.B. Bickerstaff is a wonderful coach. And the Cavaliers are certainly ahead of schedule right now in their development, which is the reason why people are pairing the names of LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers organization together as his, you know, time in the league continues to wane and that hourglass is starting to run out for King James. But right now, out of the teams that are between the sixth seed and the tenth seed in the East, obviously tenth seed being the Hawks, six being the Cavaliers, the Hawks have the best 10-game stretch out of 
all of those teams. And again, that includes the aforementioned Cavaliers, the Raptors, the Hornets, and the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets lost today. So with the win tomorrow, the Hawks could move up to eight. Nine or eight, depending on, I, I have to go back and look and see if the Hornets are playing tomorrow. But they are a win away from being back to 500 for the first time since December 16th. And based on, obviously, based on what Brad Rowland from Locked on Hawks tweeted out, as of today, the Hawks have the second easiest remaining schedule in the NBA based on winning percentage. Now, again, no game is given, but the Hawks do have a 16-12 and 12 record against teams with sub-500 records. And outside of Herder's shoulder injury, which he suffered on Friday night versus the Washington Wizards, and he's right now listed as questionable for tomorrow night's game versus Detroit. But things are looking up for the Atlanta Hawks, which if you go on Hawks Twitter, it doesn't look like that. doesn't sound like that from fans who are still frustrated from the hole that the Hawks have put themselves in and what they got to climb out of. But with four games slated for this upcoming week, it's a big week for the Atlanta Hawks. So we're going to look forward to those matchups between now and next Sunday. And I'm going to talk through some overreactions. Is it fact fishing or just we're just blown out of proportion right now as far as narratives or things currently going on with this Hawks team. We're going to address these items after this plug. If you like losing money, turn this off right now. But if you love free band, free bands, just like Super Future, then keep listening. Sports betting is getting huge across the nation, and all of my homies love to bet on games. There are a bunch of sites out there for sports betting, but all of my homies love my bookie. Why? Because it's so easy to use. And since y'all my homies too, I'm going to plug you. All my homies listening right now can sign up for my bookie with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus. 100%, just like an A-plus in school. Hopefully you got them, but if not, this your chance to get 100%. You like playing blackjack? There are some very fun and free blackjack tournaments, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that you can do on my bookie, and the best thing is, is that no cash is required to enter, and you can win up to $100 in daily challenges and up to $1,000 in weekly tournaments. So you want a chance at free cash money? Then again, my homies, sign up with the promo code HOOPBALL to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus and try to score some in the words of future, like I said earlier, free band, free band. All right, and we are back. As I mentioned before the break, Hawks have four games this upcoming week, two on the road, two here at the State Farm Arena here in Atlanta. Tomorrow night, they will take on the Detroit Pistons on the road, who, I mean, the Pistons have been playing much better since the All-Star break. They're led by Sadiq Bey, Jeremy Grin, and Cade Cunningham, their number one pick. This game is certainly a winnable game. Certainly a winnable game when you look at the standings. But we're going up against a team that has nothing to lose. And they're playing with confidence right now. And 
my in my opinion, this is a trap game. Now, the Hawks just won a trap game on Friday night versus the Washington Wizards. And the reason for that game being a trap game, one, Washington, although they have cooled off, they were on the heels of the Hawks at one point, but they've been struggling as of late. And the night prior to them taking on the Wizards, Hawks have a huge win at home versus the Chicago Bulls, who if we wouldn't have beaten the Bulls, we would have got swept by this year after uh, taking care of business against the Bulls last year. This is a different Bulls team, obviously. And on Thursday, Trey Young went bonkers versus the Sumo, who a lot of people, especially in my group chat, were chirping away. Oh, the Sumo locked up Ice Trey in Chicago and blah, blah, blah a couple weeks ago. Trey, you know, he, he stamped that out. Stamped that out. 39 points from him on Thursday night. DeAndre Hunter heard y'all clowning and questioning his game on Twitter, and for legit reasons, guys. You guys had a legit gripe with DeAndre Hunter and his play. But he's finally waking up and playing much better basketball. We're going to talk about DeAndre Hunter a little bit later. Kevin Herter had a good game on Thursday night. Bogey with 20 off the bench. And although Chicago shot extremely well from the field, from three, and just from the field in general, the turnovers forced by the Atlanta Hawks and the few turnovers that they committed were the reasons why they won that game. The Hawks scored a lot of points off of Bulls turnovers Thursday night, and that has been a recent trend, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. The Wizards, in my opinion, was a tra trap game because, I mean, in almost typical Hawks faction, they typically let us down. After a big win. After a big win, they play a team that they should beat. They typically just come out flat. And that was certainly possible and looked probable as, you know, the second half unraveled. Hawks did not play well in the second half. Let the Wizards climb back in and get close down the stretch. But in my opinion, it was never really in doubt. Trey Young kind of kept them at arm's length, even though they kept, you know, cutting the deficit shorter and shorter. They ended up closing out with the win. DeAndre Hunter had his best game of the season, 26 points. But like I said before, yet another game where the Hawks forced more turnovers than they committed, even with the other team shooting much better than them from the field. And the Hawks would end up winning that game. Now, that is not a trend that I want to continue to see as far as the other team shooting better than us. We got to get better at getting stops. But... The low turnover numbers and the forced turnovers and scoring off turnovers has been a nice little trend in the right direction from the Atlanta Hawks lately. Tomorrow's game, though, against the Pistons on paper, they should win, but this is a trap game. Again, as I said before, the Pistons have been playing very well as of late, and we do not want a situation where the Hawks are looking ahead to Wednesday night where they're going to be on the road again, taking on the Milwaukee Bucks, who have now won four straight games. And all four of those games are against teams currently in playoff positioning, including the Heat, the Bulls, who we just beat, and the Suns, who obviously the Bulls took, I'm sorry, the Bucks took on in the NBA Finals this, this past year. And the Bucks are looking healthier, and I'm 
assuming, not speaking for the Bucks, but they're probably going to look to get revenge against the Hawks, who obviously beat them on MLK Day here in Atlanta on TNT. We already know the TNT Hawks oh, is superior to the ESPN Hawks, but this game is not on TNT. It's not on ESPN, but this game goes without saying the importance of this game and the intensity that must be present to beat this team again up in Milwaukee. So they follow that game versus the Bucks versus the Los Angeles Clippers, who are right now one of the hardest teams in the NBA. They have won five straight games, although against teams with losing records. And obviously the Hawks are going to go into a stretch where they play a lot of teams with losing records. Even if they put some games together, we're not going to discredit those wins or wins or wins at this point. And as I'm recording this, the Knicks are playing the Clippers right now on ESPN for Sunday night basketball. But the Clippers right now have a chance to move this winning streak to six tonight. And they've won seven of the last 10 games. So they are another team that is extremely confident. And they're a very well-coached team. I'm going to give this man his flowers. He's not on the Hawks staff. But I don't think Tyron Lue gets the credit he deserves as a head coach in this league. With the injuries to their two stars, obviously Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. And the fact that, you know, they dug themselves into a hole to start off the year. And now they're three games above 500, sitting in the eighth spot in the Western Conference with a five-game lead over their roommates, the Los Angeles Lakers. It's just outstanding. So credit to Tyron Lue. I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. He doesn't get enough credit because, obviously, he was overshadowed with his championship win, having LeBron James on his team. People just attributed the win to that. Even though, you know, he was a guy drawing up the X's and O's and he had the staff and the team prepared and whatnot. I want to give Tyron Lue his credit, but they're coming to the State Farm Arena on Friday. And that game will certainly be a battle that the Hawks need to be up for and have confidence and truly execute. Because if you don't, that team can get hot and beat you. We played this team in L.A. a few months ago, a couple months ago, and... It was a game that I thought we certainly should have won, and we faltered, especially in that second half, to lose in the Crypto.com arena out in Los Angeles. And then the Hawks will finish this week versus the Indiana Pacers here in Atlanta next Sunday. Another sub-500 team that the Hawks have to play. We don't have the liberty to take for granted. And in my opinion, and hopefully the team is thinking this, undefeated, is the best case scenario. But the goal, the standard this week, is going 3-1, and one, in my opinion. Nothing less. The Bucks game is certainly that one game that we will not be favored in, and that's going to be their toughest game this week. But they're going to have to go 3-1. and one. Right now, as things stand, if the Hawks win tomorrow, they will climb to the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. So going three and one is going to keep them afloat and keep them above eight, hopefully, to close out this stretch of games. And I mean, the Clippers game is going to be tough, too. But I think, again, the minimum 
that they have to go this week is three and one. They have to go three and one minimum. Because as it stands right now, including this stretch of games this week, the Hawks have 19 games left till the end of the season. And in the words of Playboy Cardi, you ain't got time. We ain't got no time to play around with any team that we have to take on the next 19 games. We have to play our game, our hearts out, execute, and we have to take it game to game. I say that every single episode until we string together some consistency. We have to keep harping on it, and hopefully that is something that is being harped on in the locker room. So big week, in my opinion. There are going to be some pretty favorable matchups. I mean, although here and there there's going to be some matchups against some teams that are extremely formidable opponents who are playoff teams, but we have a lot of sub-500 teams that were playing these last 19 games, and those are must-win, can't-lose games. And before we you know, close the program, I'm going to talk about overreactions, valid points as far as when we look at play, narratives, stuff that's being put out there on social media. I'm going to dive into each of these things. We have several items that I want to get into before I close out this episode. So the first thing, without further ado, I want to get into is DeAndre Hunter's turnaround. Now, the last two games, DeAndre Hunter has been playing out of his mind. I mean, when you look at the numbers, he's averaging 22 points a game as of late. He's shooting much better from the three-point line. He looks a lot more confident. He looks like the DeAndre Hunter from last year before he got hurt. And the overreaction was, you know, DeAndre Hunter's gotten worse. I 100% think that is an overreaction. I don't think he's gotten worse. I mean, this is a guy who's been dealing with a lot of injuries. And when you are cheated by injuries and Cam Reddish, you know, he was dealing with this as well. You're not able to work on player development stuff. You're not continuing. You're not able to continue to work on your shot, you know, finding your spots, consistency. You're not in the lineup as much. So maybe there's not a comfort level, um, which it seemed like he was not comfortable for a stretch of games when he was in that slump. But we know that when he's healthy and he's getting consistent minutes, He's typically one of the most consistent players on our team. Now, he may not wow you as far as, you know, scoring a lot of points. He's not going to be a guy that facilitates. He's going to play solid defense against the best wing to play on the other team. He's going to get his 14 to 16, 17 points. And he's going to play fundamentally sound basketball and not lose you games. There was moments where, he was, I'm, and it's not specifically him, but he was contributing to losing basketball, which is uncharacteristic of DeAndre Hunter. Very uncharacteristic. But the last two games, we've seen him contribute to winning basketball. And ironically, they've won the last two games when he's looked great. So hopefully this feeds into his confidence and he can continue to be consistent, even if he's not scoring 18, 20, 22 24, whatever, however many points. But if he's playing defense, 
He is knocking down threes. He's getting into his spots in the mid-range and being aggressive. His aggression is a lot better as of late. And it seems that he has that sense of urgency that, and it wasn't like he didn't have a sense of urgency before. His motor, his confidence just did not look like it was there for a stretch of games. But this is something that I want him to hold on to. So for people saying that he's gotten worse from last year, that is a simple overreaction. That is an overreaction. He's been cheated by injuries, but then again, he does have an opportunity to continue to get better, and hopefully he can end this year healthy and continue to grow his game on the offseason. One of the things that I mentioned at the top of the program, the recent turnover rate for the Hawks. They have been doing an excellent job of taking care of the ball, and on the flip side, they've been forcing more turnovers on their opponents and scoring off of those turnovers. We may not be getting a lot of stops defensively, but if we are forcing turnovers and capitalizing on those turnovers, sometimes when we get in the fast break, I don't know what goes through the head, heads of the Hawks, but they just don't execute fast breaks as well as other teams at times. And, and I think that comes to, obviously, if Trey Young is leading the break, He's not going to be, you know, playing above the rim so that, you know, decreases the chances of his, him not getting a shot blocked, which he's, he's short. He's, you know, if they catch up on defense, you know, they can come back and get a shot. But they have been playing a lot better as far as forcing turnovers. And I think that is valid. Like, that's not a overreaction. I think the forced turnovers is a surprise that we haven't seen as much or as far as capitalizing off of those turnovers, we have not seen that as much this year, as much as we want in stretches, but the Hawks have been one of the best teams in the NBA taking care of the ball all year long, even though, you know, Trey Young averages his, you know, turnovers per game. I mean, obviously he's the leader, the engine of the offense as a point guard. So that's going to happen. But I think the turnover rate is real. Now, what could be an overreaction is the capitalizing on those turnovers, which is something that we need to continue to do well. We need to continue to execute in the fast break. The next thing I want to mention is John Collins being back. On Friday, he came back after being out for several games, and he started off coming off the bench that game, which he, he 100% should have. He didn't need to start. He needs to continue to work himself back into shape. And he ended up playing 25 minutes, which was pretty, pretty big. Pretty big, in my opinion. 25 minutes off the bench. He had nine points, six rebounds. Obviously, his shot wasn't as fluid. He was 0 for 3 from 3, 4 for 9 from the field. But him being back is huge for the Hawks. And he had the second highest plus minus behind Gallinari on a team on Friday. He was plus seven when he was on the court. He is a guy that is a positive influence on the team with his demeanor, with his athleticism, with his efficiency. John Collins being back is great for the Hawks. Great for the Hawks. He has another tune-up type game tomorrow night against the Pistons. I want to see him continue to get back into playing shape, back healthy, 
against an inferior opponent, although it's going to be a tougher matchup than people will expect. Get back into rhythm with an inferior opponent on the schedule before obviously having to travel and take on the Milwaukee Bucks, which we're going to need him against the Bucks. He typically has really good games against the Bucks as well. So the fact that we have the Pistons before the Bucks and, you know, we played a game on Friday. And then now obviously you have a game on Monday. So there's several days rest. He can get treatment, continue to get better there. Obviously they're going to travel. So you never know how, you know, the elevation and travel is going to have an effect on the body. But have a game and then have a day's rest and then a game on Wednesday. I'm really interested to see how John Collins, as far as his impact, is going to be the next two games. I want to see how he looks, how comfortable he is, his conditioning level tomorrow versus the Pistons, and obviously the impact he's going to have against the Bucks on Wednesday night. Kevin Herter's shoulder injury. I was concerned when he went out on Friday night, even though we had the lead and the lead kept dwindling with the surgeons of the Washington Wizards. So at the time of the injury, it was an overreaction. I was like, I really like Bogey coming off the bench. And now we have to put him back in the starting lineup, which, I mean, yes, another, you know, playmaker, you know, shot creator next to Trey Young. That's never going to be a negative, but I like the role that, Bogey is carved out on the bench. That is a valid, valid point. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about later. I'm just going to bring it up now. Bogey on the bench. He continues to play very well. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would probably care to say he's averaging between 16 and 19 points off the bench. If he would have done this all year and been healthy all year, he could arguably be up there for six man of the year if the Hawks had a little bit more success. But I'm not overreacting on Kevin Herter's shoulder injury. Right now, he's listed as questionable. Today, he's listed as questionable versus the Pistons. I would like to see him get some clock tomorrow if he's healthy enough to play. And if not, let Bogey do his thing, and we're going to give someone else some minutes. I mean, that puts more pressure on Lou Will and DeLon right off the bench to come in and execute and get some offense, especially from DeLon Wright. Typically, games where we get offense from DeLon Wright, we usually do well. But Lou Will, we're going to need him to be Lou Will tomorrow night if Herter cannot go. But I'm not overreacting off of uh, Herter's shoulder injury right now. Trey Young's play as of late has been great. He's been the leader. He has, after that poor performance against the Bulls, he has certainly been on a tear to remind people that he is one of the best point guards in the NBA right now. And... We're going to go as far as he takes us. Now, these other players, the DeAndre Hunters, the John Collins, the Herders, the Bogies, the Okongos, Capellas, those players are going to have to be, Gallinari, I can't, can't forget him. They're going to have to bring it and help Trey Young. It's going to have to be a team effort. It's going to have to be ball movement. But we're going to go as far as Trey Young takes us. As we saw in that Bulls game that we lost in Chicago, he played poor, but what kept us afloat was a great play from Gallo and Bogey. We need to continue to get that play from people outside of Trey Young. We need to continue to enable our players, feed hot hands down the stretch to stress the defense so then it can open up opportunities for Trey Young and others who number may not have been called enough in that night 
in whatever game we played. But when a number is called, they step into the role and execute in big moments. That's how you get team play. But Trey Young has to continue to manage situations, not get caught up in trading baskets. And a lot of times it seems like he wants to prove he's the best player on the floor. That is the dog in him. I always appreciate that. But do it within the flow of the game. Do it within the situation. Feel the situation. Read the room. Does it call for you to take a long three or an ill-advised shot early in the shot clock? Or do we need to run the offense and get someone an opportunity to get a basket and make that defense consider something else offensively outside of the pick and roll action or what Trey Young can do offensively? That is something that I want to see down the stretch from Trey Young. And if you can make that a habit to close out the season and it leads to success for the Hawks as a team, it makes that team much dangerous in the play-in situation. And if they can get into the playoffs, into a series. That's what I want to see from Trey Young. So we're going to talk about that. This is one of the biggest overreactions I see on Twitter. I always, every game we lose, Nate Millen's a bad coach. Nate Millen sucks at rotations. He's not like, why do we have Nate? We need to fire Nate McMillan. I'm tired tired of hearing about Nate McMillan being a bad coach. And this is why I'm going to defend him. Does he have blame? And sir, yes, maybe he can be a little bit better motivator. Maybe they're not motivated by him. They're not listening to him like they did last year. That maybe that's, that's him. X's and O's offensively. That's something he can get better at. But at the end of the day, we continue to get caught up in this culture as fans of scapegoating coaches when a lot of these coaches in the professional ranks, it's not like college. He's not Kirby Smart handpicking, you know, the recruits that come into his team, his transfers that are coming into his team. It's not that situation. It's not the Nick Sabans of the world. It's not that. He inherits a team. The roster is constructed by the general manager and management, and you have to play with house money. You have to make do as best as you can with the players you have. Now, trying to get players to elevate their play, that's on the coach as far as motivating factors and all that, that's, that can be better. But at the end of the day, these are professionals. You expect them to be self-starters, self-motivators. But to go out and say one of the most winningest coaches in the NBA is a bad coach, because he's inherited a team that has a lot of players that are more offensive-minded than defensive-minded and were bad defensively. That is an overreaction. You're complaining about his, you know, rotations and stuff. Could he give some different people clock? Yes. I know you guys want Sharif Cooper on the floor. I know you want Jalen Johnson on the floor. But the guy sees his team day in and day out. Minutes help players' confidence in the NBA. I agree. But... If he truly thought these players could come in and make an impact right now, right away, I think they would be on the court. On the court, I think they would. These overreactions about Nate McMillan being a bad coach after what you saw from him last year, you know, rallying these troops to make this run in the second half of the season to get into the playoffs and make it to the Eastern Conference Final, to forget that and just look at it like, man, we're bad. We have 10 players from last year's team on this year's team. I think, and people have talked about it on this team. Players have talked about it. Clint Capella has talked about it. 
John Collins has talked about it. Trey Young has talked about it. Players thought that we have arrived after last year and maybe didn't put in the work or did not see the value in the regular season game to game as far as getting stops, building good habits defensively, executing. Maybe those sound like player-driven things. Now, Navy Mellon needs to do a better job of rallying the troops, basically, like he did last year. Zeroing in on a goal, get buying on that goal, and the team living up to that goal and that hype. He did a really good job of that last year. I don't think he did a – he's not doing a good a job this year, and I think that has part to do with a lot of the mentalities of the players, and that's something that needs to get better and has to be mixed if this team wants to get out of their own head, not be egotistical, and go out and try to make a run and get a higher seeding in the play-in situation so they can get a favorable matchup and get into the playoffs. Being real. And this goes to my next point. People saying this team is bad. This is a bad team. I think our issue is personnel. I alluded to that in my last points. And the personnel is going to be cleaned up this offseason. I know, you know, we were teased last year with their success, and we've seen the lack thereof this year, even though we have an opportunity to still be in the playoffs. Saying this team is bad is an overreaction. It's an overreaction. Do we play bad at times? Yes. But is this team bad? No. I mean, again, we win tomorrow, they're at 500. We win tomorrow, we're going to be the eighth seed in the East. We're going to be in the, I mean, eighth seed in the East. Not a guarantee we're going to be in the playoffs, but it puts us closer. It improves our odds. So this team's not bad. This team plays bad at times. Due to a lack of focus, a lack of execution, a lack of team play. But this is why, like I said, it comes down from Trey Young, Nate McMillan, the team buy-in, the mentality itself has to be a singular focus, unified front. This team has to come together in order to get to the playoffs. One thing I've seen, and I've even talked about it amongst friends and maybe teased a little bit, Clint Capella, sorry, Clint Capella is going to be out of Atlanta. With the surgeons of Okongwu. I think it's I think that's valid. With the money that Capella's owed, the surgeons of Okongwu being young with less money. I think Clint Capella's time in Atlanta is potentially coming to an end. His minutes are not as a far few, not far a few between, but there's been a decrease in minutes. And especially when he's in foul trouble. They're going to play Okongwu 20-plus minutes, and he looks good in those 20-plus minutes. I think Okongwu finishes better around the rim. I think he's a better free-throw shooter. I think defensively, Capella is ahead of him, but Okongwu has the ability to be an even better defender because of athleticism and light on the feet and be able to guard multiple positions. So I think Clint Capella's time in Atlanta is potentially coming to an end. And I think that he could be moved this offseason in a trade to try to get another star down here. I know my my friend Pat Benson mentioned, you know, Tatum. Obviously, we're not going to get Tatum and how fun it would be to see Tatum and uh, Trey Young. I mentioned Carl Anthony Towns, but who knows what other star that we can go and get. I mean, the offseason's not here. We don't know player situations. They're focused on their games and their career at the moment. But 
those conversations are you typically have on the offseason. So we'll see there. And then the last point I have is that the Hawks will be a play-in team. That's valid. With Cleveland winning, the gap to get to six is growing. The Hawks have a chance to string together some games and, you know, try to cut into that deficit as far as how many games back they are for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But right now, the Hawks should focus on trying to get as high as he is possible in the playing tournament. That's what they need to focus on. Seven, eight. That's where it needs to be. If you can get to seven, that's great. If you get to eight, let's make it happen. Nine, in. Eh. We don't need to be nine. Seven and eight needs to be the goal. And with 19 games, that needs to be on this team's mind. Let's let let's make the most out of it. Let's see what's the best we can do down the stretch. And we'll see. We'll see. That's pretty much all I got to say there. But this is not a bad team. They play bad in stretches. And I think it has to do with this team not being motivated at times. They're not unified at times. I think there are some splinters within the locker room between the narratives, obviously, of John Collins around trade deadline, Capella in the article, you know, Trey Young talking about the eh, boring regular season games. There's a lot there, but right now, it's time to come together. And we have to do that in order to string together some games and, and finish this thing out. So, big week this week, as I said before. Four games between now and next Sunday. Two against playoff teams. Two against teams out of it. The Pacers, Pistons, we got to win those games. That's two right there. We can beat the Clippers. That's great. The Bucks, we'll see. But... I think we're going to be up for that Bucks game, so I think we're certainly going to play well. But it's going to be tough sledding going up to Milwaukee and trying to get a dub. But 3-1 and one is the goal, so let's see how the Hawks fare this week. And if you love what you heard from me today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it and tell everybody about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks. It's put up or shut up time. So I'm not going to shut up, so people need to listen. So you share this podcast with your homies, fellow Hawks fans, NBA fans, basketball fans, Georgia sports fans, does not matter. Put them on to this show. Follow us on Twitter at EthosHawks on Twitter. That is at EthosHawks. And then follow myself on Twitter at Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad, J-A-R-R-E-T-T-6-7. I'm excited to see how this team responds. Try to get another game make it three games in a row against the pistons tomorrow night and then a really fun matchup don't get caught looking ahead but a real fun matchup on wednesday versus the bucks before closing out versus the clippers and the pacers to end this week we'll be back later this week to talk more hawks until then have a great start to your week go hawks we'll catch you next time